This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, February 9th, 2017. I'm Caleb Brown. President Trump's executive order on financial regulation didn't direct agencies to do that much, but it did set some of the new terms for future financial regulation. Thea Brooke-Knight is Associate Director of Financial Regulation Studies at the Cato Institute. We spoke this week. With several of President Trump's uh, executive orders thus far, they have been tagged with to the maximum extent allowed by law or something similar, which indicates, let's look into this. And uh, so with respect to Dodd-Frank, something that he was very critical of on the campaign trail and something that a lot of people blame for uh, the slower than anticipated recovery, the decline of community bank lending around the country, what has this executive order done? Well, it doesn't actually do a lot um, in terms of actions that he's directing anybody to take. Um, But it does set a new framework for evaluating financial regulation. Um, And it's not explicitly saying Dodd-Frank. It's not an executive order for Dodd-Frank. It's actually broader than that. It's an executive order for federal financial regulation. Um, The only thing that it directs anybody to do at this point is he uh, directed the Secretary of the Treasury to issue a report on financial regulation in the U.S. Um, But more importantly, this sets out a framework for evaluating financial regulation. So it's in some ways more philosophical than anything else. Um, But some of the points that it makes are important and are considerations that have been absent from financial regulation policy post-crisis. So, for example, um, in section one, one of the core it's this list of core principles, and one of the core principles um, that the Secretary of the Treasury is supposed to use in evaluating financial regulation is whether the regulation empowers Americans to make independent financial decisions and informed choices in the marketplace. And I think this idea of um, independent financial decisions, financial marketplace, these are not words that we've heard in relation to financial regulation. We've heard words like stability, words like protection. And I think what we've seen from you know one of the problems, especially in the financial markets, is that risk is growth. And too much stability, too much protection stifles growth. And that's what we've seen. We've seen this very sluggish recovery. And with specific respect to the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, they just have one task, and that is protection. And it's not balanced with any other goal. Yeah. And that's really interesting. I mean, that's in some ways its own topic. But calling an agency the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, um, if you compare it to other uh, financial agencies, it should be something more like the Consumer Finance Bureau. Um, You know, you have the Securities and Exchange Commission. You have the Federal Trade Commission. It's not this idea of just the mission in the name of the organization. And I think that you've seen in the way um, the CFPB has pursued its mandate, it seems to be focused almost entirely on this kind of protection part of it, where its mandate actually also includes uh, you know, financial opportunity, a way for Americans to access the financial products they need in order to live their lives. So what else are we, should we take away from this framework describing how financial regulation ought to be evaluated? I think that this is just sort of an opening volley. Um, you know, Dodd, uh, 
Trump on the campaign trail talked about repealing Dodd-Frank, as a lot of people pointed out at the time. The president can't do that. Um, luckily, there still are some limits on executive power. Um, one thing that the president can do, though, is set a broader policy. Um, and I think that this is, in some ways, teeing up uh, focus on the regulation that surrounds Dodd-Frank. So Dodd-Frank is an enormous piece of legislation, but it's not the whole thing, because in many parts of Dodd-Frank, it directs the uh, the agencies to write rules, to write regulations, to actually implement them. The regulations dwarf the law in many areas. Um, and so I think that this is the president kind of setting up the framework for starting to repeal and reform some of that regulation, which he does have the power to do. With respect to uh, community banking, what should we expect down the road for, uh, with respect to congressional action for uh, part of Dodd-Frank sort of ended up with a situation where community banks were regulated in much the same way that giant banks were regulated. And community bank lending has been in fairly sustained decline since Dodd-Frank began to be implemented. Yeah. I mean, some of that decline predates Dodd-Frank, but Dodd-Frank has definitely exacerbated it. Um, this is something where I think we will see some, I would expect to see some movement on this. Um, you know. There's not a lot of controversy over the fact that the community banks were not the problem um, in the crisis. I mean, whatever you believe the role of the big banks were, whatever you believe the proper solution is, I haven't heard anybody put forward the idea that you know community banks were the problem. Um, they seem to have just gotten caught in the crossfire. And that seems to be a fairly easy sell is, look, um, we need to make sure that these regulations aren't unduly hurting the smaller banks. Um, and you know, just as a side note, it's funny, some of the bigger banks are coming out and saying that Dodd-Frank is great, it's fine. Um, and these are the banks that have the means to hire, for example, tens of thousands of compliance professionals. Um, so this is, that's just sort of an interesting, unsurprising side effect of Dodd-Frank is that the large entrenched interests, which have the resources to comply with massive new regulations, are saying that now that they've invested the money in compliance, they'd like to see these regulations stay in place. Right. Right. A classic example of regulatory capture. Absolutely. So how quickly should we expect Congress to move? There is a clock that has begun with respect to the Congressional Review Act that will allow Congress to rip out uh, of the, of the regula regulation books of the Federal Register regulations that were adopted in the waning days of the Obama administration. With respect to financial regulation, is there a lot of that that uh, we ought to expect to go away? There's some. It's really hard to tell. Um, there are so many different issues competing. I mean, I know that healthcare is really taking center stage in a lot of ways. Um, immigration, obviously, is a huge consideration. Um, so it's hard to say how much attention financial regulation is going to get on the Hill right now. But if you had some ideas about what was promulgated in the final months of the Obama administration, what would be uh, a prime targets? I mean, the fiduciary duty rule that was passed by the Department of Labor is on the block. Um, I mean, people have been talking about this. It's highly controversial. Um, and I believe that the president has, has named that regulation as one that he wanted to target. 
this is a rule that I think probably addresses an existing problem in the market, which is that um, a lot of investors don't understand that the people giving them advice are salespeople. Um, and I do think that, you know, I've heard from a lot of people that this is an actual problem. I'm willing to believe that. Um, and that many brokers, not all, there are very good people, you know, in every profession, there are good people and bad people, but um, that some people take advantage and are willing to mislead their clients into believing that they're just there for them and that, you know, downplaying the fact that they're actually making commissions off of these sales. But at the same time, uh, when I watch, if you watch CNBC or Fox Business, there are constant, repeated ads about commissions. Yes. You've got to avoid those commissions. Yes. Come to us or the, the fees. Yeah. or loads on mutual funds. It, there's this a vibrant market trying to attack the problem. Absolutely. And, you know, I think that this is a concept that people can understand. Um, what this rule does is it it makes it so that anybody giving advice for certain types of retirement plans um, has to meet this very high standard for care, this fiduciary duty standard. And what you have to understand about that is that it's not just like you wake up one day and say, oh, hey, I'm going to be a good person. It has this entire legal framework around it um, where, you you know, in order to comply, there are expenses in terms of paying lawyers and, you know, compliance people and changing a lot of your paperwork and practices. And then there's also the risk of, lit of litigation down the road. Um, so the risk in using this very heavy-handed way of addressing this problem is that you make it so that it's just not worthwhile for uh, people to provide advice to certain smaller investors. When I say smaller investors, I mean most investors. Um, I'm not talking about you know the very lowest end of the market. I'm talking about middle-income investors. Um, so this is just not the solution. I think that there is a lot of information out there for people. I think that there's a way to, um, you know, we have anti-fraud provisions. We have suitability standards where brokers aren't allowed to promote products that aren't suitable for their investors already. Um, and so this is just a way to, uh, I think it's an example of protecting people out of the market. Thea Brooke-Knight is Associate Director of Financial Regulation Studies at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to and rate this podcast at iTunes and Google Play and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.